This is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where I am joined, as always, with Eric Eggers. How are you today, Eric? I'm so well, and I'm so excited to get into this topic, which I think will showcase all of your cultural sensitivity and awareness. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk today about high profits, high corruption, high crimes. Maybe I'm overdoing this a little bit. Uh, We're going to be talking about the cannabis industry, and we're going to talk about corruption. There's a huge amount of money sloshing through the system. um, And the reality is it is rife with corruption. The people making money, as always, are the insiders, the political class. We're going to expose that today. And we're going to be joined in a little bit by a very special guest, uh, a director here at the Government Accountability Institute. uh, That's Steve Stewart. Steve's broken a lot of uh, stories over the years here in Florida. Uh, We liked his work so much, we brought him on board. And we're going to be discussing some of the particular details. Um, The fact is, Eric, that now, this shocked me, 47 states now have legalized some form of cannabis. The holdouts are, I know they're shocking, Nebraska, Kansas, and Idaho. Yeah, I know that you're shocked by many aspects of the reality of modern cannabis use because uh, you hear cannabis and it goes through the same filter. It would have gone through a character in the original Dragnet television show, right? That's right. That's why I love Dragnet. What do we got? uh, uh, Communist hippies out there (laughs) doing something? So, yeah, but the reality is, is that cannabis is not only uh, a preferred recreational choice for many, many people, but it's also big business, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have have four small kids, so the last thing I'm ever going to do is moralize about how somebody else deals with the realities of their situation, whether, you know, whatever pharmacological option they choose. But uh, it's it's a big deal, not just for recreational, but medical. And, um, you know, here in Florida, we've seen it be the seat of the largest, what's become the largest cannabis company in the country. So, and I think the report that we did that uh, I'll call him a moderately special guest, Steve Stewart helped to spearhead showcase is we've got, you know, actually corruption problems that touch every corner of the country in the cannabis industry, specifically as it relates to the interaction between cannabis and the politicians and public officials that regulate this burgeoning, highly profitable industry. That's right. And and today we're not going to debate the legalization of marijuana. There's a lot of passionate uh, opinions on that. We want to talk about what the reality is today is that it's been legalized in 47 states in some form. Um, and what a lot of people think, especially advocates of legalization that, that tend to be more libertarian minded, um, is that this is great because this is about freedom. This is about choice. This is about and open access uh, to marijuana market. Uh, The reality we're going to talk about today is the fact that insiders, politicians, lobbyists are controlling the market, and they're seeing to the fact that they, their family members, and their best friends are cashing in. And this is happening all across the country, Eric. I mean, in California, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, her son, Paul Pelosi Jr., uh, in 2017 became the chairman of Freedom Leaf Incorporated. I love the names of these cannabis companies. I love that you love the names. That's my favorite. It's like a little girl that giggles. Oh, it's a marijuana pun. (laughs) Freedom Leaf Incorporated, which is a consulting firm that is advising the industry. Uh, Pelosi bought a $100,000 stake in the company. Nancy Pelosi, who used to be opposed to legalization, suddenly now thinks it's a great idea, given that her son got involved in the industry. But that's not the only place, right? We have uh, other political figures. Yeah, she's actually not the only other Speaker of the House to be in on the industry. And it's maybe not, she's not unique as a Californian to be now in favor of the legalization of marijuana. But former Speaker John Boehner, who we all know's go-to drug of choice was red wine, used to be uh, dramatically opposed to cannabis and the legalization of it until he left Congress and got a job as a lobbyist in the industry. Now he stands to make $20 million if he can get it legalized at the federal level. 
And you might find it unsurprising that he now is very much in favor of and actively advocates for the legalization of cannabis. But so those are examples of politicians that have connections. I mean, John Boehner's personal in terms of his own finances, Nancy Pelosi, it's a, a family member's finances. But that's actually not unique, right? We At the report that Steve helped do, we saw that people at the state level, not just at the federal level, it's not unique there either, right. right? They've all got connections. That's right. I mean, the the way that the deregulation of marijuana or the legalization of marijuana, I should say, uh, has happened, it primarily happens at the state level. So in Illinois, for example, Governor J.B. Pritzker legalized marijuana. The legislation was actually written by his cousin, Joby Pritzker. He actually helped to write the bill. Uh, and of course, Joby Pritzker, which I have to say is also a great name if you're going to be a marijuana entrepreneur. Um, I think that's a terrific name. Um, he's actually got a major stake in something called Pax Labs, which doesn't produce cannabis, but produces cannabis vaporizers. So the fact of the matter is there's lots of uh, money to be made. And this is something that covers the sort of the four corners of the country. Um, so let's bring to the mic uh, Steve Stewart. Uh, Steve's a director here at GAI. You undertook this report this study which is what 70 pages long give us your sense of the scope of how widespread this problem is and then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the specific findings and then some breaking news that you have as regards to what's going on in florida right when we we set out to look at this obviously as you've mentioned here the the neat thing about the regulation is it goes to the state level so it provides a lot of opportunities for a lot of different people to make money and so we went through and looked at different states and tried to look at different ways that cronyism um, was taking place and so we looked at california illinois like the joby pritzker connection that you mentioned you know, bef uh, his um, his uncle, J.B. Prisker, ran for governor under the premise that he was going to legalize marijuana. Um, before that, there was the move to medical marijuana where you had the classic cronyism of campaign donations and trying to get licensed. But this moved them much faster. And as you said, Joby actually was on a group that and we had to double check this to make sure that we had the facts <laughs> right. But he was actually boasting about helping write the legislation. Yeah. Yeah. And so. That was uh, one example of a family connection. In Missouri, the FBI evidently got a tip off pretty early what was going on there. But there was a Speaker of the House legislator turned lobbyist that really got his uh, the influence in on the licensing process. And his the, the obvious example here is how his lobbyist clients tripled mm. um, after uh, he started getting marijuana clients, after he demonstrated his ability to raise money from these people, and then also for his clients to get licenses. Um, obviously, and he was, he was tied in with the Republican governor of Missouri. Exactly. That was, uh, there was a, a governor removed uh, mm -hmm. in Missouri and the Republican governor who was in the legislature and friends with uh, the guy's name is Stephen Tilley, um, got into the governor's office. And then basically Mr. Tilley had connections with all the people that were involved with giving out the licenses. And the benefit was um, obviously getting more clients. And one thing to point out a distinction, because I think you mentioned the Illinois thing. One of the pushbacks we hear oftentimes with our reporting is, OK, well, is that illegal? And the, the, the irony or the shock of it is, is in Illinois, no, it wasn't illegal. It was not illegal for the governor to campaign on the fact that he's going to change the laws. And then his cousin is able, who stands to benefit from it, helps to write the legislation. Totally fine. Right. Maybe people would say it's unethical and maybe corrupt, but not illegal in Missouri, though. Missouri is one of the states where we're now seeing 
Actually, there were some laws potentially broken, and that's why the FBI is involved. So, so Steve, explain to us, because this, this seems kind of counterintuitive. You're actually legalizing something that had previously been illegal. Um, how does that give the power to the politicians and the political class to make money? What are they doing when they're actually legal? They're not saying anybody can pr- produce marijuana, any can, anybody can form a marijuana company, right? No, the whole the whole rub on this is that you they limit the market because when you're when you're not dealing with a free market, you're dealing with a regu- regulations. So you mm-hmm. have certain requirements to get a license. You got certain. Uh, a number of licenses that will be given out. So let's take Florida, for instance. There was a big debate about how many nurseries could uh, they follow the vertical integration plan? How many nurseries could they approve that would be able to grow marijuana? And, and these so, are pl- these are plant nurseries, not children's nurseries. Right. right. These are plant nurseries. <laughs> and so they set the requirements so high that actually only, I think, uh, it was less than 10 nurseries qualified. In the entire state. In the entire state of wow. Florida, which is wow. 20 million people. Wow. Now, it just happens that um, a state representative by the name of Halsey Brashears, his family owned one of these nurseries, and he supported this strict, which some people call a cartel. And so- you know that is one of the reasons why people can make money is because you want to be on you want to be one of those top ten, and it's the same thing in Missouri. They created a licensing uh, model, and then everybody's trying to get a leg up of getting the first license. So you know, let's be clear: just like in a free market, the first one to market on a product yeah. is going to have the the biggest advantage. And it can really result in you being, you know, a leader in the industry if you can get first to market. So how much are these licenses worth? I mean, if, if, if you're if you're in a state uh, and you have an LLC and you don't really have anything and you suddenly get one of these marijuana licenses, I mean, that's a boon, right? That's worth huge amounts of money. Right. Well, you know, it varies around the state sure. and the country on how they set uh, up the, the model here in Florida where we are is a vertical integration model where you can you can grow and and sell the same company, but just TrueLeave I believe is a billion dollar uh, a year company, the largest company in the United States. I think that's selling marijuana, and they have they grew from the first dispensary here in Tallahassee, Florida. Wow! And so it's a huge amount of money, and obviously. When you are regulating an industry, um, it's um, that's where you want to get your influence, and the money changes hands. And the truly have actually per- provides a great case study, right? An example because we've got some breaking news now that have come out of the FBI investigation into local government corruption, and happens to overlap with the marijuana industry and truly specifically. And I think it underscores kind of a business model and why some of the people are raising questions about just how some of these companies came to be and why there's some ethical lines that were potentially breached. Yeah, I think so. In our report, you'll note in our uh, executive summary, there were four ongoing FBI investigations related to the cannabis industry, California, Missouri, Florida and New York. Um, The one in Florida started out as a just a basic pay for play (laughs) corruption investigation with local government, Um, although it involved a gentleman by the name of J.T. Burnett, whose wife is the CEO of TrueLeave. Well, up until just recently, the media and um, Mr. Burnett and Truly tried to play down the fact that, listen, this corruption investigation, which J.T. Burnett was indicted on, had to do with something other than Trulieve. Um, and that went on for about a year, year and a half. But recently, there has been um, some text messages that were released accidentally, but um, but was reported on. And the city commissioner here in Tallahassee that actually pled guilty to bribery 
um, is on these text messages with JT Burnett talking about voting for a moratorium for True Leave. A moratorium in the cannabis industry and True Leave already had a license. So they would get a four to six month head start, which is what exactly what happened. And there were some other moratoriums in other cities here in Florida. And so now this has become a become a an issue in the FBI investigation. Uh, the trial set for July but will be interesting to see if now bringing in True Leave into this investigation has an impact because it's not just like some small marijuana company in a faraway state. This is, you know, in Florida. And it is the largest uh, medical mar- or as largest marijuana company uh, in the country. So these are really, truly drug cartels. <laughs> I mean, we use the term drug cartel, obviously, you know, very violent. And but I mean, you could at least say that's kind of a free market. I mean, they do kill each other, and I'm not minimizing the the, the violent nature and the terrible nature of what they do. Thank goodness. <laughs> but but. My point is, is that that in this particular case, this is, you know, the selling of of drugs, marijuana, and it is a cartel. It's protected. So they try to get moratoriums. They want to shut out competition. um, And they do that by currying favor with political figures. Now, one of the other things I found very interesting in the report is. You think about this as, okay, in Florida, you've got, you know, somebody that owns a nursery or you've got all these, but there's actually an international component to this. There's a lot of sketchy international money that's flowing into these marijuana companies as well. Well, one of the indictments in uh, California is focused around uh, cannabis permits and permits and uh, people uh, getting money into the campaigns of elected officials that are giving away these permits. Right. And so that is uh, one of the ways you can funnel money for internationally, because uh, you, obviously you're not allowed to make federal campaign donations for foreign countries, but you can, you know, funnel that obviously through these licenses. And that's the, you know, the indictment in um, California and the investigation is ongoing is related to that. And, and, and that's Russian and Ukrainian e- money. Exactly. And, you know, in our report, we loosely tie, based on some of the documents that we have, that investigation to Leave actually no. in Florida. And we're one of the first, uh, probably the first uh, outlets to do that. And now when you start seeing what's the FBI investigation here in Tallahassee is revealing, that connection could become even more relevant. So tell us about these text messages, um, uh, what their origin are and how explicit are they? And what do they tell us about the broader picture of, again, Leaf, a company that that really didn't exist a decade ago um, and and sort of came out of nothing um, and is now a billion dollar plus company. It's it's an industry leader. Um, tell us, you know, give us the big picture after that on what this all means. Yeah, so the text messages, you know, back in the beginning of the medical marijuana in Florida, uh, it was passed by referendum. So a lot of the authority and the regulation uh, decisions were left to municipalities until the state stepped in about a year later. So what happened, these companies saw that as an opportunity to get in and get their foot in the door by going around to these local commissions, Tallahassee, Tampa, Clearwater, Miami, and getting favorable um, ordinances or favorable rules passed. Well, here in Tallahassee, True Leave, um, the CEO, Kim Rivers, and her husband, J.T. Burnett, were already involved locally in development projects, um, some of the biggest campaign donors here locally. So they had ties already. They had access to these yeah. officials. They So they set out, they got a permit for one of the first licenses. And then the idea was, once you get your permit, you don't yeah. want anybody else to have a permit. Yeah. So what do you do? You put in a moratorium and the excuse was, look, we don't know how this is going to turn out. So we don't want... Uh, you know, dispensaries popping up on every corner 
in the you know in the city of Tallahassee, so we're going to put a moratorium. Well, the text messages show that look, that may have been a good reason to put a moratorium, but now a text message from someone who has pled guilty to bribery is saying, look, you know, I'm trying to get you this moratorium. The vote was three to two, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know, on the other side of that, you had other marijuana companies who were wanting to get into Tallahassee um, to also grow. So anyway, that's how those text messages I think will reflect on the the pay to play uh, part of this process. One of the other text messages that came out with this particular city commissioner who was indicted in public corruption is he, because he runs a lobbying firm, this is one of the issues, his lobbying firm and he was receiving, I think it was $550,000 from a marijuana company that was trying to get in Uh on the Florida market. And then so he's like, hey, what the heck? I'm paying you all this money. You know, but I see you sort of repping this other thing because, well, yeah. So, so it's sort of a dissatisfied customer, <laughs> dissatisfied with their lobbying. Yeah, dissatisfied uh, yeah. with their lobbying from the government official that voted for this moratorium. So it is. Um, that's why these text messages that again are in Tallahassee, but I think they're they're instructive if anybody wants to get a sense of what the larger cannabis profile looks like at the at the, at the throughout the country, right? Because it's a local story, but if the same local story is happening throughout the country, then it kind of becomes a national story. Yeah, and so Florida is is kind of the epicenter for this. People hear about Florida with COVID. Everybody's moving here. But you also broke another story uh, that involves the Agriculture Commissioner here in Florida. You think of that, you know, what power does the Agriculture Commissioner have? Apparently, when it comes to legalization of marijuana, they have a, quite a bit to say. Uh, and she had, let's say, some interesting hidden sources of income. And she has some interesting romantic ties that we would not be interested in, except for the fact that it reflects on this very issue. Tell us about Nikki Freed and what's going on there. Yeah, it's interesting. that Everything seems to be revolving around Florida. But, you know, and Nikki Freed's going to become a national name because she's running for governor right. uh, in, uh, against Ron DeSantis here in Florida as a Democratic. She's search, uh, trying to get the Democratic nomination. But Nikki Freed came out of nowhere to run for the agriculture com- uh, commissioner position in 2018, a couple, 2018, right? a couple years ago. But before that, she was a marijuana, a marijuana lobbyist for one of those companies that got a license. And so she was able to win by like 6,000 votes. Um, and here in Florida, we have to, uh, elected officials have to file financial disclosure forms. And they're called a form six, which a lot of people wouldn't understand, but they're very detailed. Yeah. And it's a very good source of information if everybody tells the truth and writes down what they're supposed to write down. <laughs> well, we follow those and her net worth went up from like $250,000 to 1.4 million in one within year? one year. Wow. And part of that is because she took up with or with her boyfriend, uh, Jake Bergman, who was a CEO of Satera, which was an, uh, the number two company be- behind Leave in Florida. And so each year you have to file these financial disclosure forms. Well, she's amended her forms three <laughs> times because there's always been a little bit of a question about how she was uh, um, filling out the forms. She amended one to add an interest in a marijuana company. Now, now remember, she's agriculture commissioner. She has got a, a committee set up or a commission set up to advance marijuana legalization policy and uh, and, mar- and marijuana medical or uh, medical marijuana policy. And so she has an impact yeah. in her st- her position, but she also has an interest in marijuana. Well, just recently, the story we broke, which went viral here in Florida, is she amended one of her form sixes, the financial disclosures, and she happened to just find about four hundred thousand dollars in revenue and cash that she hadn't reported. This is personal income, personal income that she just forgot about. She did. She said she <laughs> forgot to report it. And so now this is starting to raise, um, you know, raise questions about her legitimacy as a candidate and his editorials are starting to hit her on that. But now she's admitted that if she wins 
the gubernatorial nomination or wins the race, that she will, you know, she will sell all her marijuana stock. Yeah. So you wonder, she's already got a statewide position. So if she views it as not being, you know, if it's, it's ethically not right as right. a governor, why not as agriculture commissioner? And it's worth pointing out that as agriculture commissioner, while at the same time they say, oh, my office has nothing to do with anything regarding policy of cannabis or of marijuana, they did open up an office of cannabis and had a position in charge of that. And she's consistently advocated for anything that would increase the share and stake of marijuana in the state of Florida. Yeah. And, and this, again, it's just it's just too cozy because she opened up that office and she has this uh, commission, this this committee that she made that she made up and, you know. CEO True Leave is on this committee, okay, and then just happens that True Leave buys a Harvest Health Harvest Company, which she owns an interest in. Oh, yes. So all this stuff is just way too cozy. And this is what the editorials across the state are starting to point out is, look, do one or the other. Make money in marijuana, you know, or run for office and serve the public. Don't do both. And so I think, again, this will become an issue and will become a national issue because obviously the gubernatorial race in Florida will be will get national coverage. But, you know, this is a classic example, Steve. I've known you for a while. You're a great reporter, but you, you don't work for a major newspaper chain. You don't work for uh, a, a major television station. You do this independently. You, uh, you practice nonprofit journalism. You work with us and you broke these stories. And that's one of the frustrating things is is that when you look at the corruption that's rampant in the legalization of marijuana, which would be in, of interest to anybody, whether you consume marijuana for medical purposes or you don't, the fact that these decisions are being made by corrupt politicians who are feathering their own nests, the fact that you are the one that has to break these stories. I mean, I love you, brother, but <laughs> it, it's it drives you crazy. Where is the media on this? Well, I think, you know, like I said, the media now is starting to take note of this. She is running for governor. and. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that in Florida, the print media is, you know, is really putting their resources on covering Ron DeSantis. But what happens, I think, is there becomes this point to when the evidence just builds up yeah. that it becomes they have to cover it. And this is is what is happening with the, the Nikki Freed story in terms of her relationship with cannabis. I mean, again, her whole after she got elected. Her whole family got involved into the in the cannabis business. Her her sister, her father's in business with her fiance. So this is yeah, I mean, this is is become really obvious. But you know, the argument would be that early on she got away with it and just without the media covering it, and she just kept doubling it down. It encourages. It encourages. But now she's got herself in a position where she has to answer these questions because the media now is starting to look at it. So it, I guess the thing I would say to you is it eventually gets there if it reaches a level, yeah. you know, that is, is, is significant. Yeah. No, well, that's, uh, that's a great point. And, and we need more of this uh, kind of vigilance at the state and local level. This is a national problem, not just in Florida. Uh, as I said at the beginning, this is about high profits and high corruption. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, Steve, your work demonstrates that. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you for joining us on the drill down. Eric, your parting thoughts, any, any, memories from your childhood that's relevant to this subject or any final points you want to make? I mean, my mom listens to this podcast, so absolutely <laughs> not. And uh, I can't think of anything. I, mean, I guess I'm mostly just proud of you that you refrain from going to too many cliches, right? <laughs> like, well, I, I, I did in the eighth grade with my friend Russell um, under the bleachers at middle school. I will admit that that was my first partaking of, uh, of marijuana, but that that's it. I mean, you know, that's going to be the headline, right? <laughs> Right-wing author <laughs> confesses to breaking rule. In eighth grade. In eighth grade. <laughs> and, and he hasn't touched his stuff since. And he's like, and everybody else I know that did it, they're total deadbeats now. So 
that's that's informed my take on this. Well, thank you for joining us on The Drill Down. To find out more, you can join us on thedrilldown.com or uh, at The Drill Down on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere that you consume social media.